July 10th. As we now turn our attention to the New Testament, we'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 27, verses 21 through 44. Paul's counsel gets rejected. I mean, what did a Jewish tent maker know about sailing a ship anyway? So the advice of the experts and the vote of the majority carried the day. When you are impatient and uncomfortable, and when the golden opportunity seems to come along, beware, a storm may be brewing. And they hear Paul's encouragement. Paul was right to say, I told you so but he followed it with a word of promise from the Lord and a word of encouragement from his believing heart. At a time like that, people need promises, not preaching. And they were following Paul's example. Paul publicly gave thanks and directed their hearts to God, which encouraged everybody. The weary passengers needed strength for what lay ahead, and that meant taking time to eat. Paul was practical as well as very perceptive. Although Paul started the voyage as a prisoner and passenger, he ended it as the captain of the ship. The ship was lost, but by the grace of God, Paul's presence saved all the passengers. Can the Lord depend on you to sail by faith when you face the storms? Can others depend on you? And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. July 10th, Acts chapter 27, verses 21 through 44. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left fair havens. You would have avoided all this injury and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me, and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight, on the fourteenth night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They took soundings and found the water was only a hundred and twenty feet deep. A little later they sounded again and found only ninety feet. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the prow. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, You will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes and let the boat fall off. As the darkness gave way to the early morning light, Paul begged everyone to eat. You haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged, and all 276 of us began eating, for that is the number we had aboard. 
After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get between the rocks and get the ship safely to shore. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudder, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But the ship hit a shoal and ran aground. The bow of the ship stuck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break up. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and he told the others to try for it on planks and debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely ashore. But many of you, when I when I share with you this unthinkable thing about you tonight, you're going to go, "Yeah, I got that." But but it's not going to break your brain down the way it needs to. Some of you, it's going to be the turning point possibly for your whole life. Because it is true, and if it is true, then either two things are, are true of me or you. Either we have been around church and stuff and talks like this so long that we've become inoculated to the power of God in us. Or we've never really clearly seen it in the first place. And I'm hoping in either case that God will do something really powerful tonight, that He'll either let us see fully what there is to be seen, or if we've seen it in the past but just sort of become ho-hum to it, that it truly for us will become unthinkable all over again. There is something so true about you tonight that it is really mind-boggling. It is unfathomable. It stopped the world stunning how amazing it is. And it's the most obvious of things. But I think deep at the heart, it sort of gets at a lot of what stresses us and a lot of what pushes us and a lot of what gets us moving in life towards things that in the end harm us and leave us with less than God's best in our lives. People on earth are asking these questions. Sometimes we're asking them out loud, but we're all asking them. People are asking simple, basic, philosophical questions like these. How did I get here? Does my life matter? I mean, I'm looking around at all these people, even in this Bible study tonight. Nobody would know if I was at this Bible study or not much less all the people that work at my company or the people on the face of the earth. Does my life matter? Does my life have value? And if it does have value, what gives it value? I mean, what is it about my life that gives it value? Is it the way I look? Is it the people I hang around with? Is it where I work? Is it what I drive? Is it the names that are on the stuff that I have? What gives my life its value? Because I want to get more of that because I want my life to have more value. And it all boils down to this simple, unthinkable thing, that you are the unique, one-of-a-kind creation of God. And the same God who made the universe and put every star in place, personally and individually crafted you as an original, one-of-a-kind masterpiece with His name attached. And God is saying, check this out, all things were created by Him and for Him. You are the design of God. 
and his name is on you. Value sort of has been been assessed to us by all kinds of circumstances and situations in life. I love this part of the ending. He says, and when I awaken, you are there. There are people in this building tonight, and my heart just is so there for you tonight that you've awakened many, many times from many, many places where you were with many, many people going, is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the time that I feel like somebody? You awaken another time, they were already gone or the, the thing was over and one more time you woke up and it was like somehow I feel worse than when we started and maybe it's the word of God tonight that's just beginning to take those layers off and God's saying I don't care what some man said to you or what some parent said or didn't say to you, or what some woman or some girl or some company said to you. You are a somebody to God. You are prized by the one who knitted you together. You are a glorious human being, stamped with the very glory of God in you. You are God's somebody. And he prizes you above all of creation. Does my life matter? And do I count? What is my value? And you're going to be as lost as the person next to you who's never heard the truth. And what God's trying to say is, hey, I'm not for or against the car. I'm not for or against fashion. I'm not for or against your appreciation of art. I'm just telling you that you're fearfully and wonderfully made by me. And with or without the stuff and the emblem and the exterior and all the stuff that you think makes you so great, you are full of the wonder of God. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9, for the choir director, a psalm of David, to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. O Lord, our Lord, the majesty of your name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and nursing infants to give you praise. They silence your enemies who were seeking revenge. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in place. What are mortals that you should think of us, mere humans that you should care for us? For you made us only a little lower than God, and you crowned us with glory and honor. You put us in charge of everything you made, giving us authority over all things, the sheep and the cattle, and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, the majesty of your name fills the earth. Proverbs 18, verses 23 and 24. The poor plead for mercy, the rich answer with insults. There are friends who destroy each other, 
but a real friend sticks closer than a brother.